0: Welcome to an episode of the podcast Art Insiders New York. My name is Anders Holst. The theme of the podcast is New York with a focus on behind the scenes conversations with fascinating people who are making an impact in the world of art, design, and architecture. Maxi Cohen is an award-winning multimedia artist and independent filmmaker based in New York City. She has co-founded Art to Heart Soho which is an ongoing call for over 100 artists to bring optimism, healing and love by painting messages on boarded up buildings in the neighborhood that birthed contemporary art and that was heavily looted in a riot on May 31st. art to heart is collaborating with James Cavello of Westwood Gallery to curate future exhibitions of these pieces to benefit the participating artists and Black Lives Matter causes. Maxie Cohen also discusses her groundbreaking and inspiring documentaries, *Joe and Maxie, a feature length documentary about her relationship with her father, Anger, part of the Seven Sins, Seven Women film, South Central Los Angeles, Inside Voices, in response to the Los Angeles riots of 1992, From Shock to Awe, the story of suicidal veterans, ladies rooms all over the world, and Movement of Water. So today, our guest, Maxi Cohen. Her films, photographs, and multimedia installations have been exhibited internationally and are in the permanent collections of numerous museums, including Museum of Modern Art, the Whitney Museum, Museum of Fine Art Houston, the Israel Museum, and the National Gallery of Canada. And in the last week, you have also given us a gift to Soho the art exhibition of, of street art that uh, breathes new and fresh air into Soho and that is very m- much needed. So thank you so much, Maxi, for, for giving us that gift. I read somewhere that you and Miriam were bicycling through Soho and up came this idea. Is that true?
1: Yes, well, I you know, I was here because I live in the community. I live on Green Street, so I was here Uh, The night of all this horrific looting on May 31st, you know, with all the sirens and helicopters and shooting and screaming and and got up the next morning and went out and photographed what was left at Gucci and Dior and Coach, which was nothing and saw the boards go up. And I thought if there ever was a moment for artists to express themselves, it is now. And then I did go for a bike ride with Miriam. I mentioned it to her. She said, oh, my God, you're so right. And I was just sort of saying it. I didn't know that she would say, well, let's make it happen. And 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 she's that kind of person. She makes things happen. Yeah. And and she galvanized a number of other friends of ours. And that's how it all started. You know, she brought together a great group of people who are our friends. And we it just kind of blossomed. It's funny because during covid, I was watching all uh, it gave me a chance to watch social media much more, which yeah. I had not. And I kept thinking, how did these things go viral? How do <laughs> things just pop up? And, and I then think you I just actually, did
0: something here that went viral.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I was so surprised because I kept thinking, you know, I have big projects yeah. and I thought, how do you make these things just blossom like that? And I was so shocked. And then it just happened. It's exactly, it was so much flow and people were so responsive. I was surprised the first day we painted, a hundred people registered. We had a hundred people. By the way, I
0: met Miriam by by coincidence. I was walking down Broadway and uh, she was directing an artist or whatever. And she was going back to her own painting, I think. And then, so do people apply, do artists apply? Do they call you up? Do they get an authorization or how does this work?
1: We just made a call to artists the first day. You know, Miriam managed to get, I think it was Miriam, or someone of this core group, because it was a core group. There's a woman, Bethany. Oh, I'm not going to say her last name properly. She has an amber set. She has a handle, Go Paint the World. So she was used to painting the world. Misha Hyman, who made lunch, who said, Oh, I'll make lunch. He, he has a, the Warrior <laughs> Health Project. Yeah. said, I'll make lunch for everybody. Bethany, I think it was her. Anyway, they got Blick to put up to donate paint. Okay. Or Miriam got Blick to donate paint, whatever. Somebody did. And House of Yes in Brooklyn had house paint, and they brought it over. So I just spread by, by telling friends we were going to do it and them sending it off. You know, we just opened it up to anybody. Uh-huh. So we just said, just come. And it's interesting because some of the people who came to paint – were very accomplished artists who made major public art installations had major museum shows and some were 6-year-old kids who were happy to be outside painting yeah. and and people who walked by in the neighborhood who had never painted before thought oh my god this is a relief I'm going to paint yeah we had people in their late 70s and and early 80s painting of black brown Asian, you know, the, a, a, it was a very diverse group. <laughs> By the second time we painted, we kind of made a mission statement. So when, you know? when
0: did you start? When, when was the first time? Because this looting was at the end of the month, right? It was like May 31st or June or somewhere there. Right.
1: And the first day we the first day we painted, I'm looking at my calendar, I think was the 6th okay. of June. The 6th of June was our first paint day, Saturday. So it was fast. I think Miriam and I were riding around on Monday. Mm -hmm. Um, She she has a a tea company. She also had originally the Guggenheim in the 90s in New York was where Prada is at the corner of Broadway and Prince. And so Miriam had a tea salon underneath, but now she kind of works upstate. And actually another friend of ours, Bobby... Uh, Bobby Van, who lives in um, San Miguel Allende, she had called Miriam independently and said, you know, I read, I think they're doing this in Oakland or San Francisco. You should do it in New York. So uh, Bobby also inspired. Miriam Noval is just a firecracker. She has a company called High Tea Today with CBD, uh-huh. tea with CBD. So she works upstate and she galvanized our friends upstate, Stephanie, Frank and and uh, whose mother has a foundation. She told her mother, the Eileen Kaminsky Family Foundation that is out of Mana in New Jersey, Mana Contemporary. Uh-huh. And her mom said, what a great idea. I'm going to help you. And, her, <laughs> her, her, and, and the man that she lives with is a big an artist who does billboards and public art. And so if you walk around the neighborhood, all the unlocked pieces are his, Gordon Kinlan. Oh, yeah. yeah and then sort of. friends came down from Harlem who uh-huh. were in the art world, Jean Seidman, Barbara My- Ann Michaels. And, and then Miriam called Xiao Ming Chen, who is a big Chinese art dealer, and she joined in. And then this guy, Timor York, came and he made a poster (laughs) and then we made a a mission statement. And then we were a little more formal the second time. Uh And another woman, another woman in the neighborhood said, oh, this is really great. How can I help you? I have two young kids, but I have great skills with spreadsheets. And I thought spreadsheets, that's what we need. We need a spreadsheet. (laughs) So Theta Sam came up with. A way to register where everybody could put their name in and send their photographs in, so there was a way that we could keep track of which artists painted uh, where uh-huh. and what their photographs were. Yeah, yeah. And so it just kind of kept blossoming like that. Yeah. And um, and so we painted again. Misha made lunch again. Bethany painted again.
0: What was in the mission statement, though? What, what was the what was I'm the gonna, essence? Uh, you
1: want me to read it? You want me to read it Absolutely. to you? Absolutely. Okay, I'm gonna find it. Because <laughs> we really, we spent a lot of Zoom calls crafting this mission statement. Um, Art to Heart, which is what we call ourselves, Art to Heart Soho is a call to artists to bring optimism, healing, and love to our world by painting messages of compassion and unity on boarded up buildings, welcoming the change that's coming. Mm. So, I mean, the messages were for the from range from very political to very spiritual and uh, everybody was free to paint whatever they wanted. Yeah. You know, that was our that was where we started so that we just didn't have we didn't want everybody to just paint. Black Lives Matter, or I Can't Breathe, oh. uh, and and to be a little bit more evocative or provocative, and there were incredible, you know, some really deep, intelligent political statements, and there and Stephanie built a beautiful altar, you know, that I have to say, she did that on the 12th. So today's the 22nd, 10 days later. Yeah, people are still burning incense. Nobody oh. has touched anything. They just are adding things, and then she did another one on Broadway, by the subway.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's at Princeton, Princeton
1: and, Prince and Broadway.
0: Princeton Broadway. You know, I think it's so. I, what I got away with also was that there was a lot of love. There was a lot of of uh, motives of hearts and love and unity. It had a very positive, you know, yes, a, yes, yes, a, a serious yes, serious and 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 political uh, message, but overall, very loving and caring and uh, positive i think
1: yes and that was our intention that was our intention the city has you know was protesting every day yeah and and you know this neighborhood was so devastated by the looting yeah that we felt we were definitely in support of the messaging that was going on in the protesting, or at least I was. I think everybody was. But we felt that what was important to uplift our spirits and the neighborhood spirit was um, more messaging that about, you know, more of that sense of we need unity. We need love. We need compassion. I, I did a couple of pieces, pessimism is an indulgence despair is a lack of imagination
0: i took a photo of that that has a very nice uh, pink uh, bluish uh, color right
1: that's right that's right i love it and then i did i i did love is love is love is the answer but i uh, everybody always says that but if you really think about it you know it really does make it you know if, if everybody came from love we wouldn't be in this mess we would we would have this sense of unity and equality and compassion and you know, and tolerance and yeah. and we would applaud difference so
0: you know it was it was so nice because that that was our first thought when we went out is that you know the artists are reclaiming soho they're coming back with a vengeance they they you know taking over in a very positive and, and and wonderful way because you go there with all these high end uh, you know shops and uh, uh, Soho needs that art component, I mean, it, it otherwise it loses its soul in a way, you know?
1: You know, it's the artist who um, first lived in Soho that in a way gave this energy to a place that ended up being what it is today. You know, there, or there were artists here first, then there were galleries and restaurants, you know, and then, you know, finally Gucci and Tiffany and Dior and Coach and you're absolutely right and what was so great was that people were painting from their heart yeah wasn't about money on top of places that were about money Mm -hmm. and it it kind of it absolutely brought back some soul and some human creativity and the human touch and the neighbors really appreciated it. You know, I wasn't sure what would happen. Somebody the first day came said he looked out the window, he had tears in his eyes, he came down, he was so grateful. And I was happy because, you know, I didn't know maybe people preferred the minimal look of all the plywood. But I was very happy to see that people were really in the neighborhood grateful people really did. People stopped by, they joined. And I think it made a big difference.
0: Absolutely. So you started on the sixth and then it went on like uh, the second week, you did your mission statement, more people came about. And what happened the third week?
1: Oh, so yes, so we, and, and many of the artists came out anyway in between the time, you know, for us, you know it was really stephanie gordon and myself and miriam that kept lugging the ladders and bringing the paint back and forth and you know it was like oh my god I so can't believe so so, we, e- you know, so
0: everybody used the paint that was offered to them people didn't come with their own paint they were no, like, some
1: did oh, yeah. some did some more serious artists did <laughs> some you know some brought stencils and um you no know, a number of the artists that you know really there were a number of serious muralists serious artists and they did bring their they did bring their own supplies or they, you know, mixed our supplies and their supplies. And then actually, it's interesting because. James Cabello, who owns the Westwood Gallery in on the Bowery,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, one of his artists, and a spectacular artist, Nobinaga Sawa, hope I said that right. Huge public artist who's international was painting. Uh, the second time we came out, and she brought her students the third time that we came out mm. and and he came over and he saw it, and he said, "You know, uh he's part of the broadway what the bid whatever yeah that yeah, is yeah the that, bid
0: yeah
1: and he said, uh, let's paint Broadway, let's really curate." broadway you know the artists are really serious and doing spectacular work why don't we bring them to broadway yeah so call the stores and make sure we have permission Mm -hmm. because i would hate to see somebody paint all day and all night and then in the morning it's gone Mm -hmm. and he did that and he also i mean i'm hoping all this is is the case because that's what we're counting on (laughs) found a place to store the art Uh uh-huh uh because we had the idea that uh and i walked the new york historical society through here right so it'd be great it is a specific moment in history it It will be it is and so it would be great if we had the work if anybody wanted to exhibit it or to auction it off to benefit charities and to the artists so we agreed james agreed that nobody else would benefit but charities and the artists and that he had found which i'm hoping gets confirmed today a place to store the art oh. and that's that you'll see that broad the art on broadway was great right Yeah, it was really the artists were artists who have painted in the interior of of soho i mean there, you have artists. Um, one of the guys that painted with us the first time, mm-hmm. Tristan Reginato, he organized. I think former students of his, mm-hmm. a lot of African American artists, and they painted beautifully on Broom and up Worcester. Mm-hmm. And so, if you walk from Grand Street up Green and around Worcester, up mm-hmm. Worcester Grand, you know there. And then we expanded through Spring and mm-hmm. Broom and. Grand and West Broadway it was like an open-air museum so a number of the artists who had been painting in the interior of Soho went to Broadway and painted on Broadway we put the call out again and I you know and that's how that happened
0: So your colleague, the gallerist, he, he calls these uh, companies because, I, could, I, you know, you you, you need the, their permission, right?
1: We did not get any permission in SoHo because who, mm-hmm. we didn't know who to call, it was, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really I don't think they were, I'm not sure they were up for talking to us because, you know, they had to deal with a store that had just been looted. So, you know, we just painted wherever. And some of the stores have been... Uh, now I've been running after all the stores and running out my door to kind of keep saving the art. Yeah. And some of them are, are very are very thrilled that, that we painted and are very happy to donate the work to a cause. You know, otherwise they really own the plywood. And some of them just took it off and had it all junked. Or I noticed um, Chanel they just keep painting over art and i feel really badly because some of it is real art you know really incredible art
0: dolce gabbana that beautiful orange uh, whirling uh, pattern and so you had the juxtaposition between the, you know the fashion company and then the street art below it And i thought that was so so great so you're right i mean the board is owned by the store itself so are you now Collecting these boards? Well,
1: I've been running around trying to save them. I mean, I found a construction company in front of Jimmy Choo that took them down and they were just about to take off. And they said, Well, if you find a good charity or whatever, we'll bring them back. I asked them to hold on. You know, we've been asking the stores. I've been writing letters and making phone calls. Sometimes we've been successful and sometimes not. Yeah. So, But we're doing our best to really the work that really needs to be preserved. I mean, look, nobody painted with the idea of it being there forever. And so I'm glad we photographed everything. I mean, a woman came by and borrowed paint because mm-hmm. it was in my basement mm-hmm. and painted a beautiful painting. She came at eight o'clock at night. I went out the next morning to see it. It was already gone. No, and I actually put something up on Broadway, and the next morning it was gone. We're just doing our best to rescue the art, and we're hoping that the bid will hold on to the art so that it can be that it can be um secured and that something can come from it.
0: Yeah, you would basically need a lorry to drive around in Soho and stack them on the <laughs> on the back. well
1: that's what I asked that's what uh, James Cabello who's been organizing this yeah I said that's exactly what I suggested to him yeah so I mean I ran out I saw this morning art being taken down uh, of a piece on Grand Street that uh, this woman Ariana painted three beautiful panels and she did a beautiful one up on Green Street in blue and I thought this is this can't be trash she spent Uh, you know i mean it it was magnificent and uh you know i called and tried to figure out what are we going to do and then her father came i think with a truck or something at least so her art got saved because it was just too fabulous but a lot of it gets is getting thrown away yeah so it's very ephemeral
0: so what do you need then you need uh volunteers to to take one block each and uh you know, stand guard for the art here. <laughs> what a great
1: yes! I do give my cards out and say, if you see any art call, being taken down, call me immediately. Yeah. If you want to help us create that brigade it would be it would be great. But yes.
0: So yes. Are, are are the stores opening up now? I mean, you are right there in the middle uh, this Monday, or is it just a slow opening?
1: I think it's a slow opening. Some of the stores that were looted. Uh, I mean, I'm actually surprised at how quickly they could restock, you know, most of these stores in Soho, which are so high end, I don't think they have many people coming in at one time anyway. They're not like the stores on, I mean, Broadway, I think it's much more. But so I don't know. I haven't been on Broadway this morning because I'm hoping that the bid is going to watch over Broadway. I'm sort of been driving my bike all over Soho. Um, <laughs> Uh, I've gone out three times today when I, oh, you know, I hear... You,
0: you need know, an army of helpers here, you know?
1: Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, but I'm hoping that the bid, and I think James Cabello is, is looking over the work on Broadway to protect it. Oh. Uh, and the work on Broadway is really quite spectacular. I mean, I think it's spectacular. I mean, Prince Street between Worcester and West Broadway is unreal. It's just... I mean, this is really, there is museum quality work there. And wow. what I think is so interesting is the Museum of Contemporary Art in um, L.A. did an exhibition on street art. Hmm. And, you know, it was the number one attended wow. show they ever had at the museum. Wow. And I thought that was so interesting. Have you been outside today?
0: Oh, uh, look, I was there Saturday for three wow. hours. And then I came nice. back for Sunday and i can tell you it was so beautiful i think i took about 185 photos or something like that oh my god and uh, you know you were hanging out with the artists and it was a very open and wonderful conversation uh, and everybody says this is like what soho should be like you know this is what it was meant to be now it's sort of a it's
1: what it was when i first moved here that's yeah. what, that's what gave me this idea <laughs> yeah. so uh it reminded it, it. reminded me of the days when I first moved to Soho, and everybody that you saw was really uh, people who were within sort of the same age as you. Yeah. There was, you know, a similar demographic. You know, yeah. They were all artists, and at three o'clock in the afternoon, there was no <laughs> commerce anymore. It was dark, and and um, and. This, when all the boards went up, it reminded me of those days. I
0: talked to this woman. She did this uh, Sam Cook painting. Oh, Claire. Yes, Claire.
1: Beautiful painting. Oh. Beautiful, beautiful painting. And,
0: and then she told me, did you see the bird cage, the bird... Uh, uh, on Green Street. On Green Street. And I said, "That's uh, that's one of my favorites, too.
1: So it's. I think it's really great that mm. we're having this conversation mm. because I'm hoping that the that the businesses on on Broadway will see the value of the art and the value that that this uh, expression is worthy of preserving and worthy of auctioning and mm-hmm. you know that it's worthy because it's a, an historical moment
0: yes it really is and I, you can feel you can feel that when you were walking the streets why wouldn't one turn this into maybe an annual art festival where one could have some kind of public display of street art in this way uh, in in soho to sort of reinvigorate the, the neighborhood and and uh, so on and so forth have you have you discussed that at all in in this in this group
1: no i think it's a great idea i mean that's how this is happening you know last night i was talking to an artist on broadway at 10:30 at night and he said well can if we sell a, the art can we pick our own charity and i said you know, we haven't even had the, that conversation yet. I think that's a great idea, and that's sort of how this has been happening. So, I I do believe that that I'm going to bring that up. Mm. You may have spawned a new idea.
0: <laughs> well, I think we need to do something with Soho because, and why not uh, honor honor the 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 the, the heritage here but with art?
1: I think that's a great idea. You know, Soho is really. The Birthplace of American Contemporary Art. When I first moved into the neighborhood and the trucks left at three o'clock, you know, the end of the, the rag trade and whatever businesses were here, mm-hmm. iron workers or whatever, the people that you saw on the street were kind of your, around your age. They were really all artists. I mean, it was really a community. I'm a filmmaker and a videographer and was so interesting now, which I haven't seen in years because of the commercialization. For me, what was so moving is to see who was walking around in the last couple weeks, realizing That there are artists who I've seen in museums and art fairs who I'm a huge fan of that I didn't know lived around the corner from me. You know, that there are tons of artists in Soho. Mm. And, you know, what's really also really interesting because you mentioned Claire's work that you like so much. And she's one of them. There are children of the original artists that settled in Soho that have felt such a deep connection to painting here because they grew up here. And Claire was one of those artists who grew up here as a child, who really felt a deep connection to the community because she was here when they were, you know, that's the environment she grew up in.
0: So uh, how long is this going on for now? Is it like an open ended um, uh, process or is there a final date? (laughs) You're making this up as you go. You know, I find that so interesting. It's wonderful.
1: Yes, and the thing is, I think it's going to last mm-hmm. until the stores open and all the plywood is down. <laughs> I, You know, artists were painting last night. Artists were asking me, which buildings do we have permission to paint? Came out at 8 o'clock this morning to paint. Uh, I've had a guy who's borrowed my ladder every day to paint. <laughs> He's there. He came, brought it back last night at 10 o'clock. He came and he picked it up this morning at 10 o'clock. Yeah. And he's painting it at Princeton Broadway.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's so interesting because I went to um, Ian uh, and he had a little party. So we went uh, down to get oh. some fresh air. And uh, there was one of the guests with his acoustic guitar and we were singing along. And there were two artists opposite, uh, opposite the street painting. And they joined, us, joined in and <laughs> we were singing. So I, I thought to myself, this is an incredible New York moment. And um, you see, art has this wonderful uh, ability to bring people together. Really a wonderful little moment there, you know, when we all came together.
1: You know, it was, it was terrific because there's a mural at uh, Spring and West Broadway that this guy Trevor made. There was a violinist, a classical violinist, mm-hmm. an African-American violinist at that corner and another one playing a cello at the next corner. And then I heard that there were dancers in the street, like mm-hmm. choreographed dancing. And then I have a video of a guy who did a spoken word piece <laughs> as he was painting. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, somebody engaged, got engaged on the mm-hmm. street in the midst of it that was painting. And I thought mm. how amazing mm. that this environment Created that level of creativity and joy, you know, which I think did not in any way lessen the multi dimensional or the multi many, you know, the multi messaging mm-hmm. that is being said and made, you know.
0: How will this be documented then, though? Because I know that you are a uh, very celebrated award-winning multimedia artist and independent filmmaker. So how do you document this? This should be straight up your alley.
1: It should be, but I haven't had as much time to do it (laughs) as I would have liked. Um, And and there hasn't been money to really hire somebody to film it. There have been a number of uh, professional photographers who have been photographing. It is my intention to aggregate that material. And somebody actually called me about a book so i'm talking to her this afternoon there were a couple of people who were out there shooting video and i'm trying to aggregate that material so the story can be told if they're you know if the if the work is going to be exhibited then i think the story is very moving to see those images and i have been photographing and filming in the neighborhood as best as i could through covid you know i was isolated covid Um, Mm -hmm. From the beginning of when the plywood went up and from even before that, when there was some art in the neighborhood that was COVID related, you know, so we're working on it. You know, it's like, let's finish painting before we, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's it's everything at once. How do we document it? How do we aggregate it? How do we edit it? How do we paint it? You know, it's everything sort of at once.
0: Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and and the work that you've done and been involved
1: in? Oh, my, my, my. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I started basically as uh, a filmmaker and a videographer in this first wave of people who did video making kind of guerrilla television and television for social change. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I did a, a, a TV series in a small town in uh, New Jersey, Cape May, New Jersey, that didn't have any local television. And that as a result of people uh, making their own television a Democratic mayor got elected for the first time in a hundred years, which was not what's important. But the the town went from being destroyed to becoming one of the first landmark towns in this country, one of four landmark towns in the country in Cape wow. May, New Jersey. But and I, and I also so I've been very interested in television for social change. I did a film during the L.A. riots, which was wh- where I gave cameras to African Americans, Latinos, and Koreans who lived in the areas of the L.A. riots to try to understand racism from a firsthand perspective from the inside out, which mm. that film played on Showtime. Mm. I think it was the first film ever made by real people that was on television. But what really shocked me about what went on now is that I felt like we hadn't really moved. You know, I felt like it was that Rodney King moment, the L.A. riots all over again, only on a on a much more explosive scale always wanted to be an artist and Mm. so uh, but I went to film school so my first feature documentary film was a film I did called Joe and Maxie about my relationship with my father which was kind of a breakthrough in its form My, my favorite accolade was somebody said asked me at a festival who played your father. <laughs> so I thought if I made a movie that was so real he thought it was fiction, that uh, was the biggest compliment uh, I, I could I could uh, I, I, I could have. But in those days also it was a time when foreign films were being released much more than American independence. So I was part of this American independent film movement that helped to foster the exhibition, the distribution and production of independent feature films. At the same time, I continued to make art because it takes so much time and energy to raise money to make independent films. You know, I think about, I feel like I wasted 90% of my life trying to raise money, to be quite <laughs> honest. And, and you know, it used to be easier. I was very lucky. I'd get grants from the National Endowment for the Arts or the film I made in LA the Rockefeller Foundation supported but really it's just it unlike in Europe it's it really is very hard for independent filmmakers to make movies so I've also do large format for, I do photography I do video that have uh, both single channel video and now I've been working for the last 25 years actually photographing water around the world and filming it and making multimedia works that incorporate video of water and furniture even that incorporates video of water and uh, multimedia installations and I've designed a big public art project called the movement in water mm-hmm. which is a kind of mini or who knows if it's mini it's it's so expensive it doesn't feel so mini, I, it, it a kind of mobile museum of water that i because you know when covid passes and hopefully we'll have a lot of social change this year in terms of racial injustice and systemic racism when all this is passed, really, the major issue that we're dealing with is the environment. Yeah. And it will rear its head as, as it is rearing its head. And so the, that project, it's really its mission is to create a greater reverence for water and to shift your physiology, which I think, you know, once we open again hmm. uh, or as we open again or at some point, people will, I think, have a greater reverence for nature Mm -hmm. And we'll want to be together. I anticipate that this project of a movement in water, which, which, you know, it's very interesting about water it's we're all our molecules are 99 percent water Mm. and our bodies are mostly water the new science about water shows us how water has memory and connectivity and consciousness and yet water is also the solvent that can do the most for uh, dealing with climate change actually i have a very exciting project for Soho, that I think would be great for the community, that I hope we get to make. <laughs> so I'm so that, that I'm, and so I'm doing that, and I made a, a, a I executive produced a film recently yeah. called From Shock to Awe, which is about uh, how ayahuasca can really help. It, it's with veterans who are really tried to commit suicide several times with PTSD. Yeah, help with PTSD, and I will tell you that there's a lot of ptsd that's coming out of all of this so there's a lot of uh trauma and so i'm hoping that the work that i'm doing Hmm. uh in both these areas with water Hmm. and how we can really heal and shift consciousness and uh, i i just think there's an enormous amount of healing that needs Hmm. to be needs to happen
0: yeah But that that is wonderful. I have to say I was very impressed when I read about all the various uh, productions uh, you have been involved in and uh, the idea behind them and uh, uh, what they're all about. And you also had this ladies room around the world that stuck out. And I was thinking (laughs) that sounds like a very interesting project. What was that about?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting way before this, this project has been going on for, (laughs) oh God, this really dates me over 40 years. And when I made my first film, I was in a, in in one of those uh, awards dinners in Miami that was really boring. And I went to the ladies room and found this octogenarian with her corset and her false eyelashes. And I started photographing. And the truth is the ladies room is a place where, women share and actually reveal things uh, to total strangers and make friends. And (laughs) so I started photographing this tribal dance that happens in ladies rooms around the world as much as far as I had gone. (laughs) And then there was a point way before Facebook and MySpace that I thought, what if the world knew the secrets of women? What difference could it make? (laughs) And I had that idea and I was shooting. Uh, I was making a film in the Australian Outback. I walked into an Aboriginal bar, I think I was the only white girl in this bar, and the women called me over to sit with them. And then they wanted to talk to me and they were afraid the men might overhear them. Mm -hmm. And they took me to the ladies room to tell me about the, the incest of little boys and little girls that was going on in their community and really wondered if I could help them. And that began a film that I made at the same time, "Make Filming in Ladies' Rooms Around the World," that, you know, dealt with everything from women sharing their vibrators at a sexuality conference to mm-hmm. to you know women's rights and uh, and celebrating women. So yeah. this project has been going on for four decades.
0: <laughs> That's wonderful. Can you describe your style? Uh, it seems to me as it's very sort of authentic in the moment, catching people, not so much polish. And uh, I saw some, some movies online here. How, how would you describe well, yourself, it, it, first your, your of all, style?
1: <laughs> first of all, I think that that is true. But secondly, you know, I have always been interested in how do we tell a story? So the form in which a story is told Has to be commensurate with the intention that you have in telling that story. So, when I was in LA, for example, wanting to understand racism, I I gave the cameras to um, people who lived in the community and had them keep, you know, ran a workshop and had them keep a diary of their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I I was asked to make a film uh, for. Uh, a film called Seven Women, Seven Sins that seven filmmakers, women filmmakers from around the world were interpreting the seven deadly sins mm-hmm. any way they wanted. So some were fiction and some were like music videos and some were experimental. And mine was the only documentary piece, and uh, I was given the sin of anger. I wasn't really sure what the sin of anger was. So I tried to ask uh, the Pope and I tried to ask a rabbi and (laughs) it didn't get very far. So I put an ad in The Village Voice um, looking for angry people. (laughs) And actually, it's interesting because at the time, people said, oh, you can't make a film of talking heads. I recorded these people telling me about their anger. Mm. And it's uh, in this feature film of Seven Women. It's the longest film and when people lined up around the block to go see the film, they came to see Chantal Ackerman's film, which was on laziness. So her film was really about being lazy, and I think her film was the shortest. And I of was course. really, really <laughs> shocking that they thought that mine was the shortest and that was the longest. Yeah. So it really proved to me, if you're keeping an audience compelled, yeah, you know, that's what's important. So usually... You know, what I really am looking for is what it, you know, what is the story I'm telling and then how do you tell it? Mm -hmm. You know, what is the best way to tell it?
0: So you interviewed a lot of angry people. Now, were they angry really? Or did they just think they were angry? When they met you, they, you know, mellowed out?
1: No, they were so angry that I didn't (laughs) know whether my idea would even work. So I pre-interviewed them. You know, I set up a day to shoot in a studio And they were so angry that I was afraid that, you know, they had already told me their story once, maybe they couldn't do it a second time, but their anger was so pervasive that they, they could very easily tell me the same story again. (laughs) And I'm sure they told it a million times. (laughs) And actually the film, the film is really, uh, it's available. It's really interesting. Uh, And you know, this is so funny. There was a man who called me up and he said, you know, I saw your film in film school 25 years ago yeah, and there's an image in that film that is seared in my brain and I just got funded I think it was one of the producers from uh, This American Life said I just got funded to do a podcast called Mm Heavyweight is a Gimlet podcast called Heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want to find the people that were in your film from 25 years ago and find out what happened to them. Yeah, yeah. And he tracked them down. <clears throat> yeah. And I was sorry we didn't make a film of the podcast, which is really interesting because <laughs> it's a 45 minute podcast with, with some of the most extraordinary interviews that, that, that happened. I remember also the museum of modern art calling me saying, We hear there's a guy in your film who committed murder, and we think it's our projectionist. No. (laughs) And and they wanted to see the film. So, you know, and one of the guys who I was so moved by, we actually did a, um, Simon & Schuster did a book. You know, I had them, we we did a book after. He was a cop but it was a detective who who came from a family of mafioso. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And uh, he was very upset that his he was the 11th highest decorated cop in New York. And he felt so betrayed by the police when he found out that his phone had been tapped. Mm. And then many years later, or some years later, he had uh, it was allegedly, I don't know, 16 murders or something. And uh, and they, th- no, the people were angry. They were so angry. And, but it's so interesting how it was expressed. So it's actually a, quite an interesting film. Won a lot of awards.
0: I, I saw a professor uh, a couple of days ago on TV. He said it's very important to have uh, positive thoughts. And that's, uh, you know, it brings up your wellness, antidepressant, and so on. What did you learn about anger? What is anger good for? I mean, they, did you, did you uh, come to any conclusion here?
1: I did, because I had to figure out what anger... I'm, I'm not an angry person, and I didn't understand what it meant to have the sin of anger. I didn't understand the seven deadly sins, and that's why I wanted to get the Pope or an Archbishop. But, I, I, but what I decided was people who were so angry that they were hurting themselves or somebody else, that was what made it a sin. That was my definition of what made it a sin. You know, if you ask me personally, I feel that anger should be channeled, you know, not it shouldn't be suppressed. Mm. It should be understood and expressed, examined all the way through and ultimately turned into something that's of value, Yeah. which I think in a way gets back to the painting in the street, you know, for a lot of artists.
0: Yeah. I think I think you're right. This is um, this is (laughs) this is wonderful. You have a very interesting uh, career. I was reading, (laughs) reading about you and I thought, wow, that is that is very interesting. So
1: I do think it's good to thank the sponsors. So can I do that? We were very, very grateful to have the sponsorship of not just Blick for paint and House of Yes for paint. But really, Eileen Kaminsky's Family Foundation, Really sparked us, and and also the ESKFF, her the Nest, which is Stephanie Frank, her daughter. Yeah. And the Tea Salon, Miriam Noval who's mm-hmm. incredible tea, the CBD, her CBD tea, high tea today, and and the Tea Salon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I mentioned that Misha Hyman, who has the Health Warrior Project, contributed. I do have to say there were amazing wonderful artists. And we're very excited that the bid will really take a role in helping uh, the artists and charity by preserving the work. And that's really thanks to James Cabello Mm. of the Westwood Gallery. You know, I have to say it's quite remarkable because people came away from as far away as Boston to paint and Brooklyn and Long Island and, and whatever. I think that spirit uh, recognizing Soho and wanting to bring this to Soho uh, was felt from close and from afar. I, I, you know, it's interesting. I just want to say one thing. I asked a lot of artists who said, oh, I'm from Jersey City or I'm, you know, I live in bed or Fort Green or mm-hmm. Crown Heights. Why, why did you come to paint here? And I think they recognized that it was desolate from the looting, that it was all boarded up, but that, that also there was a kernel of this is the place to paint, that this is the birthplace of something, that, of, the, of art in many ways, mm. in, contemporary, in contemporary art.
0: Mm. That's very well put. This is the beauty of podcasts, because when I was walking around Saturday, I said to myself, I have to get the persons behind this on my podcast, and I found your email, and I emailed you, and you said, "Sure, just give me a call." <laughs> and then, so from Saturday to Monday, from idea to execution—that that's a, that's a record for me, at least. And thank you so much, Maxi, for for uh, helping me to do this. And and I will I will do my part. I will put this on on uh, on the front burner and make sure to spread spread the the message. Can I ask you a question though about art? Um, uh, to heart. So that is. I, it's an Instagram page. I saw that. Is there also a website?
1: We t- we did get a website called Art to Heart Art, mm. and I haven't had time to see if we filled it out. So I'll have to check. I and and I think <laughs> we do have it. So I think our intention is. I'm going to make sure in the next ten minutes we're going to be on that. Okay, wonderful. And you can find the art on Instagram at um, hashtag Art to Art. With the number two yeah. with a heart yeah. and art with a number two and a heart Soho and then at uh, art two heart written out dot art.
0: Yes, I saw. I saw the last one. i following that, but there are two others then.
1: Yes, people have been oh. posting at hashtag yeah. art the number two and a heart. I
0: mm-hmm. see.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's how this whole thing has been happening. Thank you so <laughs>
0: Congratulations much. Congratulations, again. Okay.
1: Thank Take you. care. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: This is Art Insiders New York and my name is Anders Holst. Thank you for listening and be sure to visit ArtInsidersNewYork.com to join the conversation and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the Art Insiders New York podcast, head over to iTunes, if you're not already there, to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This episode was produced by UOM LLC,
1: Copyright 2020.